You can now hear Movie Heaven Movie Hell on Stitcher. Stitcher is ready on demand. Listen anytime, anywhere. Stitcher is an award-winning free app that lets you listen to all your favorite shows, plus discover from 20,000 news, entertainment, and sports shows. You can also create your own custom playlists. Stitcher is available on iOS, Android, Nook, iPad, and in over 4 million car dashboards. It's on demand and it's on the go. No downloading, no syncing, no wasted memory. You can stream your favorite podcasts from Stitcher. Don't have Stitcher? Download it free today at stitcher.com or in the App Store. And please leave us a review and rating on Stitcher. Thank you. Welcome to Movie Heaven, Movie Hell with me, Simon Aiken, and... And I'm Keith Isles, and we are both independent filmmakers who enjoy discussing genre movies and related media. And for this special bonus episode, we are really pleased to welcome a guest to the show. We are joined by Mike from the Evolution of Horror podcast. Welcome, Mike. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's always good to... Uh, to get people who are interested in horror on our show. So um, maybe you could uh, start for the benefit of our listeners, um, telling us a little bit about yourself, uh, the podcast that you run, and your relationship with the horror genre, please. Yeah, sure. Well, I've kind of, I work in, in TV mostly, sort of day to day. I do uh, sort of work behind the camera TV producing but uh, they tend to be programs on film, art, that kind of thing. So I produced the uh, BBC One film show, Film 2018, the thing that Perry Norman did for years, which is still on the air. Uh, I still uh, I sort of produced that. But I am a massive horror fan. I have always been a huge horror fan my whole life. And uh, so last year, I just thought I would start up my own podcast, basically talking about the horror genre. Um, so, yeah, as you say, Evolution of Horror, What it, it's kind of a, it's a standard sort of film discussion podcast, I suppose. But it also adds in a kind of slight historical slant as well, where we kind of track uh, the horror genre through time, I suppose. We pick a particular subgenre, like the slashers, the slasher movie or the zombie movie. And we review a film from that subgenre each week in chronological order to sort of track how how it changes over the years. Um, so, yeah, started doing that last year. I couldn't actually find anyone who was willing to sort of or could commit the time to do this podcast with me every week. So I've ended up kind of roping different people in for different episodes, essentially. So it's kind of a weekly discussion podcast with me joined by a different guest each time, essentially. <laughs> I was just going to say, and you just uh, finished going through all the slasher films. Is that right? That's right. Yeah, yeah. That was really fun, actually. We sort of covered everything from week to week across about 15 weeks from sort of early stuff like Psycho and Peeping Tom through to the sort of Jallo stuff of the 70s. And then, of course, Halloween and the big 80s slasher boom to the 90s slasher boom and sort of various different things in the 21st century, sort of different incarnations of slashers like torture porn and It Follows and things like that. So that was really fun, actually. Yeah, really interesting. Yeah, no, it has, it has been interesting to sort of follow that history um, 
with you. I've been kind of following along with it as well. And um, you're uh, you're also a, an avid fright fester as well. Is that correct? Yeah, I am. Yeah, I try and go whenever I can. And I, um, I, I've sort of done a bit of work with Fright Fest as well. So last year, I was sort of there more in an f- official capacity doing sort of press interviews and that kind of thing for Fright Fest TV, Fright Fest YouTube channel and that sort of thing. So that was great, actually. Um, but uh, it did mean that I missed some of the screenings and some of the films. I do love I love Fright Fest. I love being there. I love the atmosphere. Yeah. Mm. Oh, yeah. We're, we're both Fright Festers. Um, I've been going for what must be like 10 years now yeah at least 10 years fantastic and it yeah. was it was it was great to be at the empire again and and all of us more or less being in the same screen yeah so so great and it's mm. been lovely being back in that empire i don't know whether that screen was almost too big for um a certain <laughs> sort of low budget indie horror movies you know uh, but uh, but it was amazing it was lovely to all be together like you say yeah, it wasn't too bad I, though if you were sitting at the front it must have hurt your neck a bit because yes, yeah I can I, imagine. yeah yeah, yeah. Mm. and i had seats off to the back right hand side and Keith you were sort of more the top middle weren't you yeah pretty much the back row which yeah. was, which was a fantastic place um you know view wise for, for all the films so uh yeah no it's yeah. great and, yeah and off to uh off to the Glasgow one for the second year in a row as well um in, uh, in March so yeah yeah, yeah, yeah I haven't so I've never done them <laughs> that's great yeah I've never done the Glasgow one I would like to I'm definitely going to try and make the trip to do that at some point yeah yeah, I mean, that's all in one screen and a bit more sort of intimate. I mean, people say, I mean, I've only been going to Fright Fest for like the last five years. So I'm I'm a, I'm a novice compared to Simon and some of our other <laughs> friends. But, um, yeah. but there, a lot of people say that the, the Glasgow one has kind of the atmosphere of the old school London one when it was just at the Prince Charles uh, right. before it got really big, basically. Sure. <laughs> so. Yeah, 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 definitely. And 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 actually, sometimes that's a little bit more manageable that way as well. You know, it's less less of an intimidating amount of films that you want to try and tick off and cover. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. No, it's a massive subject. Um, well, as you're finding, basing an entire podcast around it. And I, and I like the fact yeah. that you're kind of doing it in sub-genres because that is the thing with horror is there are so many, you know, sub-genres that fall under the banner of horror um, yeah. that, it's, that it's very hard to keep track. And I think dividing it up the way that you've done and sort of following the history in, in sort of chronological order through that is quite a quite a good way to follow it and i know um i've been sort of following along with you and you know i've been watching films that i a haven't seen in years or b (laughs) haven't seen at all and um you you know it's it's been sort of great to discover stuff that way so and you and you know because you've you've had some quite um knowledgeable guests uh on as well that that's obviously helped it along uh, also so yeah definitely <laughs> yeah yeah that's it i mean i'm i'm the same i mean i don't really pretend to have seen everything and everything you know compared to some horror fans out there and actually you know it's it's just been really nice for me too to kind of make myself a little to watch list and then also go and talk to people a lot cleverer than myself like kim newman and just kind of let them do the hard work in terms of this <laughs> sort of analysis and that kind of thing <laughs> Well, hey, if if anyone's going to analyse it, it's going to be Kim Newman. Sure. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, absolutely. So, what was the what was the first slasher film then, uh, it, historically? Well, it depends. It depends what you count as a kind of, you know, I guess you know 
pure and simple absolute slasher you'd say things like black christmas or halloween really but before that obviously you did have psycho which you wouldn't really call an absolute straightforward slasher movie but it also obviously has all those elements uh somebody getting stabbed to death in the shower and that kind of thing and it's the same with peeping tom the same year it's not an absolute kind of follow the exact formula of a slasher but it does have a man going around at night with his big phallic blade stabbing women to death you know so you've got all of that kind of thing uh, if you go back even beyond that, you know, you've got those kind of Agatha Christie and then there were none body count movies, which is kind of, you know, a, a whole story structured around bodies piling up one by one. And it's kind of guess who the murderer is. So there's all those kind of early examples that all have sort of traits and tropes. But uh, I'd say I'd say Black Christmas or Halloween really are the two sort of absolute pure slashers. And which which one was you started off your slasher season with then? Uh, it was Psycho was the first kind of proper uh, full in-depth review was was Psycho. So sort of Psycho and Peeping Tom back to back. I also kind of like your analysis because, um, uh, you know, I really do urge people to, to listen to this uh, podcast of yours because, um, you, you know, there were lots of questions as to what what qualifies as a, a slasher. Like, does Texas Chainsaw Massacre um, qualify, <laughs> yeah. for example, and and you moved into the Saw franchise as well, which you know some people argue is and some people argue isn't. So I, I think that's what's kind of interesting is it's quite nuanced and um, it, it is it is sometimes really really difficult to pinpoint um, where some of these films live. You know, absolutely. I think some die. of the yes, live and die exactly. Some of the yeah, I had a lot of feedback about uh, for one thing, not including Texas Chainsaw Massacre because I don't really see it as a slasher. And the same with Candyman. A lot of people said, "Why the hell haven't you included Candyman?" Again, I don't really see it as a slasher movie. And then I did include movies like Saw and Final Destination. And again, a load of people kind of disagreed with me on that. So it, I mean, it does all come down to your opinion as well. That's the thing. But uh, it's kind of also as the title suggests about the evolution and how it changed and what the slasher became as well. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I mean, as you know, our podcast primarily, although we, yeah. we have lot, we have lots of branch off episodes, but primarily our, our podcast is hence the title movie heaven, movie hell. So yes. um, what the, the little challenge we set you and I bet it was probably hard was we ask you to pick your, um, you know, favorite and least favorite slasher film. So, uh, <laughs> yes. yeah, because Keith won't I... say hell. <laughs> well, you know, I, 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 yeah, I, I tend to be a bit forgiving of everything, which is which is my problem. <laughs> sure. So. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, of but, course, it is difficult. It is difficult to to kind of pick an absolute favorite, and also, especially with the slashers, to be honest, to say one that is the worst of all of them, because there are a lot of bad ones. Truth there be are told, so but, many. Mm. Yes. <laughs> um yes yeah, so i went for it was very easy for me to pick my favorite actually but for the for the for the least favorite it was a tricky one and i, I i'm sure there are actually movies worse than this but this is a a big well-known one that i think is just quite fun to talk about and and it kind of brings up a sort of broader a broader conversation about what the slasher movies became <laughs> which is this is kind of the pinnacle of okay fair enough well uh um what was I going to say? Uh, yeah, in that case, um, you know, let, let's let's dive into it. So if you mm. want to tell us what your, well, heaven pick we could we usually start with is, and uh, we'll, we'll have a chat about that one and, and see where we go from there. 
Sure, yeah. So uh, my heaven pick, my favourite slasher movie ever, really, is uh, Black Christmas. So 1974, the original Black Christmas, directed by Bob Clark, uh, which is, you know, I think it's more well-known these days, but I think for a long time it was this forgotten gem. It was the movie that was that came before Halloween that pretty much established all of the tropes that Halloween did a few years later. You know, you've got this house full of sorority girls. It's Christmas. You've got this crazy lunatic lurking in the attic. He's calling them. They're receiving all these sort of menacing phone calls, very kind of scream-esque phone calls. And then he's sort of picking them off one by one. So it's that sort of classic slasher format, really. Very simple, but really, really beautifully done, I think. Yes. And- yeah, no. And of course, we we will be delving into spoilers, but uh, the, the thing sure. is that they never capture the guy. They don't. They don't. No. I, I mean, this is the thing. It's for me. It, this movie has a kind of tone and atmosphere that a lot of the latest slasher movies completely lose, which I'll go into when we talk about the hell <laughs> side of things. <laughs> yes, but I think I think as they went on, slasher movies became more and more of a joke, of a self-parody, really, and. Um, of course, Halloween is a masterpiece and it's terrifying. For me, Black Christmas is even more terrifying. There's something about it. It's that setting. It's the cinematography. It's this kind of, it's almost got this kind of fireside ghost story, gothic feel to it as well as having this kind of slasher maniac. And it has good characters as well. I, that's the other thing I think, you know, we'll get into it. But some of the some of the characters are a lot more well-drawn and a lot less cardboard cutout than you get in, in later slasher movies. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, um, I have to say, uh, my Christmas Eve viewing last year, Christmas just gone, yeah. was in fact, I did watch, because I was listening to this podcast, so I did watch um, <laughs> uh, Black Christmas. I watched the 74 version, and then I, I watched the 2006 remake or oh, reimagining no. Um, no. afterwards. So uh, I did do a back-to-back on that. But it, it's a funny thing thinking about slashes, because... Um, Recently, um, we did a podcast about, uh, you know, sort of growing up and being part of the Star Wars generation and how right. we, you know, we felt almost lucky, even though we want, always want to be younger. We, we felt kind of lucky to have grown up in that sort of boom of, of, of sci-fi movies and, and, and television of, of, sure. you know, through the 80s. And it's weird because it's a similar thing with the slasher movie, really. Um, we kind of grew up in that era where, you know, the home video era where, um, yeah. you know, slasher was, was massive. And, you know, it was sort of kicked off by Black Christmas stroke Halloween, you know, in, in, the, in the mid to late 70s. <clears throat> But then yeah. uh, then kind of grew into this thing throughout the uh, 80s and into the early 90s where there were just so many of these films coming out all of the time. And, um, you, you know, it was quite an exciting time. And the whole home video um, w- was sort of part of that because we were obviously too young to go and see them at the cinema, you know, certainly in the early part of that. Uh, so it would be that sort of thing. You'd get them on home video and it was a little bit naughty because you weren't really supposed to be watching it and, and all of this sort of thing. And, and it Absolutely. grew from there. But uh, yeah, yeah. I think it's quite an interesting, um, you know, time that this happened. it is it's such an interesting era yeah and it's it's such a clear you know compared to a lot of other horror subgenres which is a little bit more loose and it's such a clear 
simple format that is so quickly developed and and completely kind of uh completely evolved within a few months almost of, of halloween you know when halloween obviously it was such a cheap format to make and it made so much money and like you say it's timed at the same time as this video boom that suddenly movies like friday the 13th and all of those millions of other t- imitators came out that were just you know the same thing again and again and again just bodies piling up girls getting their boobs out getting stabbed to death by a masked lunatic and they they seem to make lots and lots of money and teenagers absolutely lapped them up at the time you know yeah perfect for an adolescent audience yeah (laughs) yes absolutely yeah you don't really have to think much you kind of switch your brain off and just enjoy all the visceral thrills i suppose absolutely it sounds a bit like the the found footage uh craze we went through years ago where Definitely. it was, yeah. Where it's like you have a set way of doing it. You know that that these people who are filming themselves on the holiday, on the uh, expedition, whatever, they're going to go through hell, and they're not going to make it at the end. <laughs> you know, something always nasty is going to happen to them. So it's, yeah, I think that's yeah. right. I think those kind of found footage, that post paranormal activity era, was mm-hmm. kind of the equivalent to that eighty slasher boom, really, for for the for the sort of millennials. You know, <laughs> that's what that's what it was. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree. I agree. So what? So what was it about, um, or what is it about Black Christmas in particular that uh, that kind of resonates with you personally? I think it's a couple of things. I mean, first of all, I think it's this. It's it's partly me just wanting to kind of shout from the rooftops about it because I feel like it doesn't get its due a lot of the time. And like I say, it's it's Halloween, and I'm not dissing Halloween. I think Halloween is a pretty much a perfect horror movie as well. But I think Black Christmas, it you know, Halloween has the reputation of being the original slasher, and Black Christmas is you know, and it did all of these things that Halloween does just as brilliantly as halloween does um and i think you know whereas later slashes of the 80s relied more on gore and blood and guts and boobs and that's pretty much it and that's fine and that's great fun but black christmas is actually a really well directed two hours of suspense you know it it really takes its time and it's got a lot of build-up it's got these kind of uh, menacing phone calls and then you spend a lot of time with these characters with these girls and again these girls are not just lambs for the slaughter they're not just these cardboard cutouts they each have their own personality their own issues their own little arc happening you've got one played by margot kidder who is this kind of alcoholic uh, and and then you've got this main girl jess who again you know slasher kind of established established this trope of the main girl the final girl being the virgin the pure one and all of the other sort of promiscuous girls are punished and killed and again this kind of breaks all the rules before they're even established you've got this central final girl who is you know very smart very resourceful very sexually active she's talking about getting an abortion i mean it's actually quite progressive and feminist at the same time it's got all of this other stuff going on so much more kind of subtext and and interesting character stuff going on but then also it's just a brilliant slasher film it is genuinely scary uh, and the serial killer the sort of lunatic the villain who we don't really know much about all we know is we think his name might be billy he might have some kind of split personality thing uh, he's this kind of wailing lunatic really properly unhinged not like the kind of silent 
shadowy types like Michael Myers who just sort of stand in doorways. This guy is an absolute loon uh, who who really has this kind of menacing presence and yet we we are revealed so little about him which makes him even more terrifying. Um, and it's just got some fantastic set pieces, some brilliant kill scenes as well. But it's just perfectly paced and perfectly pitched, I think. Yeah, yeah. I, I must admit though, I did feel that it does lose its way slightly in the middle um when you get that Uh sort of bit with the well john saxon is obviously the wonderful john saxon is is one of the uh the the detectives but you get that whole bit when they're they're at the um they're in the uh police precinct and then you know the guy the guy has that sort of laughing fit over the joke and and Yes. And it did it did to me feel slightly I mean, I agree all the sort of soapy elements, if you want to call it that of the relationships with all the different girls and what's going on in their life sort of outside of this this killer in the attic, as it were, yeah. uh, is great. But I, I did sort of feel that um, pacing wise is just for me, I, I did feel it kind of lost its way a little bit in the middle. I mean, do you think that's fair or? or yeah, I do. I, I do. <laughs> no, I think no, I think that's totally fair. It does have a lull in the middle, and uh, I, I guess you know I see it as just a great chunk of character development, uh, which then when you get to the final act adds all the more kind of threat and scare because we've actually spent so much time with these girls with these characters and we've got to know them a little bit better uh, but you're right you know it is structurally a bit of a strange one because it, it has a really kind of creepy first sort of 20 30 minutes and the last act is really terrifying but yeah there is this kind of strange it does descend into like a kind of almost just comedy teen movie for a section in the middle and it's directed by bob clark who made i think porkies and it's, so it's got that kind of porkies middle act in a weird way um but you know for me it still has these moments it's whenever they step back into the house and we suddenly even when nothing is happening uh, we still get this kind of killer point of view from the attic or we'll just get these strange, long, shadowy corridors or we'll every now and then just cut away to a glimpse of this body in a rocking chair in the attic, you know, while this kind of soapy stuff is going on downstairs. So for me, it always has something. It still has that underlying tension because you know that even though all this silly stuff is going on, there's still a lunatic three floors above them waiting to pounce this entire time sort of thing. Yeah, I mean the sorority house and the phone calls in particular are are, are very creepy. And uh, yeah. you know, in, term, in terms of atmospherics, um, you, you, you know, if you if you were looking at the genre, you know, it's almost like a sort of masterclass in itself uh, as to sort of how to set all of that up. Because um, you know, I, I I think that that film does do that extremely well. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would say that Halloween also, you know, has this massive chunk in the middle where all these irritating teenage girls are walking home from school talking about who to bring to the prom and what's going to happen here and sneakily smoking pot and not letting the policeman dad catch them smoking pot. And, you know, I think all of these movies have that element to them where they do descend into, you know, basically clueless, but with kills essentially. (laughs) Um, I suppose the only difference is that, yeah, for a lot of Halloween, you're still, you know, he still plonks Michael Myers in the background watching over them the whole time, which kind of adds something. And you're right, you know, Black Christmas does have that kind of element where, where, where you know the horror just kind of disappears for a short while 
Yeah, I'm slightly biased because because Halloween is is personally my favourite uh, of all time. Absolutely. Movies, but, yeah, uh... I mean it's every, <laughs> it's everyone's. You know, I mean that's the thing we did at the end of our uh, slasher series, like kind of poll of listeners, uh, you know, online and uh, email and that kind of thing of you know favourite slasher film. And of course, Halloween by a hundred million miles was the winner. You know, uh, followed by Nightmare on Elm Street, and then I think Black Christmas was third. And you know, Halloween is everyone's favourite, and I do get it. I do think it's pretty much a perfect movie but uh i just i like to be the spokesperson for black christmas whenever i can <laughs> yeah hey i'm just common <laughs> <laughs> that's right what about you simon <laughs> when we spoke about this i said uh halloween but i also i have a great fondness for scream uh, yeah I and, love scream. and the thing for about scream i like was um the opening act with um where the you know the the whole uh, do you like scary movies and how that just yeah. builds up and I love the fact that um, that she still got killed even though her parents were there because um, as a kid you know if you were ever scared your parents were there and everything was fine you know they were yeah, the ones yeah. to save you so the fact that uh, Wes Craven sort of undermined that said well you know what kids. Your parents might be there, but if that killer's around, there's there's no helping you. They they can they literally can be round the corner, and you know you're still gonna die. And so that that just opening scene sort of hooked me and sort of has, has stayed with me a lot. I mean, it's it's quite funny, and of course, it's it's very meta talking about the rules and you know never split up, never say I'll be right back, anything like that. Yeah. Uh, and it's yeah, it's you know the the killer is kind of bumbling in some sense, you know. I mean, a lot of the time they get he gets kicked in the groin, and you see him crawling over. But then, you know, he still is able to to kill them. And exactly, yeah, yeah. 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 But I mean, Halloween is so great because it is it is so suspenseful, and that suspense is it just keeps building, even though, as you say, Michael Myers doesn't do much and. A lot of the time, it is just atmosphere. I mean, it's uh, with the first kill with the girl when she goes out to the um, to the car and then comes back in and walks around the house, and all the time you're like, "When's it going to happen? When's it going to happen?" <laughs> yeah, and that tension absolutely. just keeps building up. Um, the same like in Jaws, you know, when's the shark going to appear? When you're going to hear that music? And when that music comes along, you're just you know you're then really on the edge of your seat yeah yeah i think that's what that's what you know halloween and black christmas and also yeah scream brought back which is the element of suspense is mm. what hitchcock introduced with things like psycho uh that that element is the build up is as important as the kill and that is what completely gets lost from i think friday the 13th onwards and it becomes more about let's just absolutely celebrate and, and make the the kills as gory and lavish as possible and not worry so much about the suspense or the build-up. <laughs> well, exactly. yeah. Yeah, you've, yeah. Got, you've gone from, like, sort of masters like Hitchcock and Carpenter yeah. you know, who really build on that to, uh, to, like you said, people that are just then going for, you know, excessive gore and, um, you, you know, outlandish kills, etc. which, Hey, th there's nothing wrong with that too. You know, it's, it all has its place and, uh, you, you know, it, it, it's all good fun. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Well, it's the kind of thing that drives the market. Um, as you say, it's a teenage market and, uh, teenage kids. I don't think they like, well, I don't, maybe I'm 
maybe either not speaking for them, but it, it, it to the film producers and makers of a lot of these slasher films, it's like, well, you know, they want more gore, they want more blood, because, you know, every time we up it, you know, more people come to see the films. And yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, I remember when I was a teenager or when I was a kid, you know, you would always have that one friend whose parents would let him watch whatever he want. And you'd be so jealous of him. And he'd come in and he'd tell you these great stories about these films and these kills, which years later, when you finally saw these films, it's like, what was he talking about? <laughs> where, where was this <laughs> stuff? You know? I was going to say, I still want to see this film where uh, a guy had like three machine guns attached together and just going around killing people, you know, with his three <laughs> machine guns. And it's like, I've still never seen this film. I don't know what he was talking about. It sounded oh, great. Wow. <laughs> I was going to say, it sounds, it sounds like something we should make. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, Definitely. Uh, one of the things actually on your podcast as well that you delved into, I mean, obviously you did this over sort of 10 episodes or 12 episodes or whatever it was. So you were able to yeah. go quite deep into this. But um, I found it uh, ver very uh, informative and interesting when you said about um, how when the slasher then sort of into the 90s started to sort of attract bigger name actors, as it were, or, or, or up and coming actors. But uh, as a result of that, things like the nudity, for example, became less so because suddenly you had sort of star, young star actors in it, as opposed to people that nobody knew uh, and, and things of that nature. And I found that quite interesting, the way you said that, you know, the, 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 the genre changed um, based on the things that Simon was just talking about, about how some of the, you know, execs and whatever um, wanted to push it more into the mainstream. And, and as a result, you, you know, it, it, it kind of, well, one could say suffered as a, as a result of it. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that was that was the kind of second wave, the second boom of slashes in the 90s became much less about the gore and much more about i mean if you look at even the posters or the video covers of early 80s slashes and it's all about you know knives and death and killers and blood and gore and then when you look at posters for everything that happens scream onwards you know i know what you did last summer and urban legend and all those movies it's basically just pictures of all of your favorite stars of buffy and dawson's creek and things like that <laughs> uh, just kind of in a line and it's and it, it's bringing back that more kind of and then there were none agatha christie style format of we're just going to murder each of these one by one one of them is going to be the killer but we're not going to concentrate too much on the actual blood and guts itself. It's going to be more on the sort of mystery element, I suppose. Yeah, and they're much cleaner. Yeah, you, you much less nudity, much less gore and any of that kind of stuff. I suppose just much easier for uh, for, for studios to market, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, much easier to get that, um, you know, 15 certificate as opposed to the 18 or whatever so yeah exactly and i think that was something that wes craven unintentionally started with screen because you know he did make a, a gory uh classic slasher movie but it also happened to have a lineup of you know drew barrymore courtney cox never uh, nev campbell all these people on the on the front cover you know which is what launched it i'm, I'm also right in saying that at that point as well sort of video stores were kind of coming to an end there was less you know we had dvd being introduced and video yeah. stores were closing and and also the slasher market mostly was direct to videos so the whole um artwork was always a way of grabbing people's attention without necessarily they knowing the film or seeing it so 
it's kind of again it's that sort of marketplace changed where um it was as you say more about the stars and less about um presenting a uh sort of you know great looking image that will you know set apart from all the others on the uh, on the video shelf definitely yeah yeah and i remember being i mean that that's the era i grew up in you know mm. and i i remember just walking around blockbuster you know in the late 90s as a kid just wanting to pick all the ones with that look like horror films with all my favorite tv stars in them basically <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. Um, you know, we we always we often go back uh, on this podcast with our fond memories of the sort of home video era, which is yeah. uh, obviously now behind us. Now we've got the on-demand and streaming era, but it is different. Yes, it, it it's not now an effort to go out and you know go somewhere and look on shelves at physical boxes and physical posters and. You, you, you know, it very much has changed. It's very I know, and I do, you, you know, we talked about that a lot as well on, on my podcast, and it is something that I think a lot of people miss, you know. <laughs> the, 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 and it's weird because it's a kind of, you know, you miss doing it. You miss walking around and, and, and picking up a really cool-looking video box of something you've never heard of and bringing it home, and it was kind of a surprise. Although at the same time, so often they ended up being terrible and not as good as the front cover would suggest. So I don't know if we're actually better off now or not, now that you can go easily go online and read reviews and watch trailers before you actually watch anything you know yeah i mean it's still happening apparently i heard a really weird statistic the other day i was at uh, the horror on sea festival because right uh, yeah i had a fil- couple of films showing at that yeah and um it one of the statistics that came out on a talk was um in 2006 uh there would be one horror film a month which would go to straight to what they call straight to video yeah like one film a month whereas now in for for the on demand and and streaming there are 16 a month that go straight to that so it just shows you in terms of audience and what audience wants you know it that marketplace hasn't got any smaller if anything it's grown and um, it's it's, you know it it is interesting when you kind of look at the uh the consumer side of it and uh you, you know and 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 society side of it which is obviously a massive topic in its own thing but the the, the fact that people do still want to go out and um and, and you know see this type of content so uh, definitely you know, yeah it's, and it's actually some of the best stuff I've seen of recent years has been random stuff I've just come across on Netflix. You know, movies like The Invitation or Hush and things like that 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 went straight to on demand and, and were brilliant. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, and um, we we mentioned there briefly, and I know you kind of went uh, but um, obviously <laughs> Black Christmas did get a, a remake in 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 the mid mid noughties. Yes. Um, and uh, I take it from your reaction, you you weren't a fan of that at all, no? <laughs> no, no. In my head, that movie doesn't exist. There is no remake. <laughs> uh, no, I think it just it kind of lost exactly everything that made you know, like so many of those remakes did around that era. They just it kind of completely lost sight of what made the original so scary and so weird and so creepy and and engaging. And yeah, it just none of it really worked for me. And also, I feel like Black Christmas was so much a product of his time. You know, it was all about 
you know, tracing that f- who, you know, who could ever could have thought that the person calling you was actually the person inside the house. And now, of course, you know, in the 21st century, of course, that can happen. You know, you can have anyone stood with a mobile phone right outside your door, you know, calling you. And that's not that's not a twist. That's not a surprise. So, yeah, it kind of it, it kind of lost everything that made the original so brilliant and unique for me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, th- I think it was I think it suffered as well from one of those things where, you know, some sometimes filmmakers that are so uh, passionate about an original piece shouldn't necessarily go back and remake it. Because what, what I understand was Glenn Morgan, who, um, you know, had obviously worked on the X-Files and the Final Destination series of films, which, again, you cover and, and I'm a fan of, I have to say. Yeah. Um, but he remade Black Christmas because he had such, you know, the, the original one was such a, a seminal film for him. You know, he was a massive fan of it. And I think yeah. it's almost a little bit like, you know, Gus Van Sant um, remaking Psycho. You know, it's kind of, well, just because you want to doesn't mean you should. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah, definitely. You know, there's it's it's not always a good thing when you get a director who's just a giant fanboy. You know, that's not always a good thing, I don't think. No, no. I mean, uh, you know, it, they're capable filmmakers in both those examples I've given. Sure. But, uh, but you know, remaking what they love hasn't necessarily worked uh, in this particular instance. But yeah, uh, yeah it yeah. was interesting to watch them back to back because they are actually quite different. Um, you know, the yes. premise is the same and there's a lot of, um, you know, visual iconography and homages to the the original. But the actual you know, structure of the film is, is quite different actually. Mm. So, it, it, but, 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 but didn't really quite deliver, you know, no, it's, it's, no, it's not amazing. No, that's it. Yeah. It's not, it's not great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, All right. Yeah. Well, I mean, is, is there anything else you want to add about black Christmas as it's your, um, your heaven pick of, of slashes for all time? No, I don't think so. Although it has got, it's also got probably my favourite, because, um, you know, slasher movies, they're all about the kill scenes, really, f- crucially. And most fundamentally, that is what they are. And uh, it's got my favourite sort of kill scene in any slasher film, which is where Margot Kidder's character is is murdered in her bed while the carol singers are all singing outside downstairs. And it's really well done. And it's kind of cut back and forth between these like little angelic children singing <laughs> Silent Night. Uh, and uh, and this girl kind of trying to scream out but not being heard in her bedroom uh, as this killer sort of he grabs this or this kind of glass ornamental unicorn thing and uh, stabs her to death with this kind of crystal glass unicorn and uh, it's just it's really I mean it's very disturbing and gory but also kind of weirdly beautiful as well in the way it's shot and looked and just the way that it's kind of sort of weird dreamlike kind of queasy the way it's all shot and lit with these children singing as it all happens it's just brilliant i love it It is as as i say that's my sort of favorite murder scene in my favorite slasher film (laughs) fabulous no i mean it is it is very uh a very disturbing scene yes which which again they try and homage in the uh in the remake but it's 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 not quite as engaging uh, (laughs) no no to put it lightly no but but it's there at least at least at least they went there yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. What about you, Simon? Anything you want to add about Black Christmas? <laughs> um, just to say that the first time I saw it, uh, it it was a screening at the um, 
it was it's the Roxy Bar, uh, and uh, it was like a triple bill of Christmas horror films. So it was uh, Black Christmas, it was Silent Night, Deadly Night, and then it was Gremlins. Brilliant! Yeah. Oh, fantastic! And so, what yeah, a, what a great triple bill. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, yes. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I was. It, it's it was uh, it was it was a great start to sort of that triple bill. Uh, though Silent Night, Deadly Night is uh, is a, a very fun film to watch. Uh, it, it's it's funny from the point of view where uh, the guy you're following actually becomes the killer and <laughs> yeah. and a monosyllabic killer as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's brilliant. I mean, that's the thing. Like those other two movies, Gremlins and that, are they they're much more Christmassy. They're much mm. more fun and festive. Black Christmas is almost, you know, it doesn't really make a big deal out of the fact that it's Christmas. It's not really about Christmas, really. Uh, and actually, like, uh, did you guys see at Fright Fest last year that film? Better watch out. Fantastic. I really Amazing film, it. absolutely yes. fantastic. Oh yes, yeah. yes, yeah. Uh, what that's one of my like, new sort of favorite Christmas movies. I think that's up there. And again, that's like properly festive and Christmassy, even though it's really disturbing. Mm. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, uh, I recommended whereas, that to so many of my friends to see this Christmas season just gone. I said to them, you know, and I've got friends that really like horror, and I said to them, just go and watch this film. It you'll really have fun with it, and make sure you sit through the credits. <laughs> that yes. was it. And yes. they, they took my advice, and everybody came back with thumbs up. So I was like, yeah, Ooh. yeah, Those, it's great fun. Yeah, such a shame the release of it. It's, it seemed to come and go very quickly. Yeah, I know, I know. I think it's going to be one of those movies that will grow over time. It's going to become a sort of word of mouth cult favorite. That's what I reckon. Mm. Yeah, yeah. It's just it was such a shame because I remember at Fright Fest it was it gave there was such a build up over it, wasn't it? And they were like, "Oh, don't yeah. tell people what what happens. It's just between us. Don't yes, ruin the surprise." Exactly. And, and exactly, not many people saw it, so. Yeah, no, no, it's, it's one of those things. It feels it feels odd to watch a Christmas movie and mm. the August bank holiday weekend. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But at the yes. same time, I, I I I completely went with it and uh, yeah, thor- thoroughly enjoyed it. Thoroughly enjoyed. It. That yeah. was one of the yeah. highlights of, of of last year's fright fests. Actually, for me, was 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 that film was definitely in in the what I would say the top ten for sure. Mm. You know. Yeah, yeah, me too. For definite. Yeah. Yeah, it was a very mm. strong year. Yeah. Okay. Well, so that's your movie Heaven then. So yes. right at the other end of the spectrum, and we know <laughs> yes. it's quite a big spectrum with the slasher film. Yes. But uh, what what would you put then as as your movie Hell? Um, okay, well, my movie Hell um, is a difficult choice, but I've gone with Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare, which is, uh, I think, the sixth, in the Nightmare on Elm Street series from 1991. Um, And this was, you know, obviously heavily marketed as this is the final one, the final uh, nightmare film. Freddy finally dies, is put to rest, you know. And uh, and it was actually sort of, I think it was in 3D as well when it it first came out, full of gimmicks, basically. Um, And and all about that side of it, I suppose, all about the kind of marketing side of it, you know, on this date, see Freddy die and see it in 3D and blah, blah, blah. I think a movie much more about uh, how they could market it than actually about the content itself, because 
I remember watching, being very excited to watch this when I was a kid and I rented it out and you could rent it at the time from Blockbuster with your 3D glasses, the kind of green and red kind of crappy 3D glasses that you could put on when you watched it. And even even the sort of 11-year-old me thought that this movie was a total trash, like really pretty abysmal from beginning to end, really. Um, yeah, just, just where to start, really. I mean, it's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> Well, this is where I mean. By this point, and I, I, I'm I'm quite a big fan of the uh, the Nightmare on Elm Street series of films. But yeah, really, me too. For me, it was always about like the first three, um, and then I also really enjoyed uh, Wes Craven's Final Nightmare, which was kind of the uh, the the film within the film that followed this one. Um, yeah. And, and and to be honest, the the three in the middle um, kind of all sort of merge into one to me because uh, this is where Freddie had gone from being initially quite scary to uh, being kind of like a, almost like a sort of stand-up comedian slapstick type character. Um, he'd become like a celebrity in his own right by this, this stage. And, um, you, you know, this film and, and the two preceding it uh, really sort of played on that whole idea. And, um, yeah, you, you know, but this one, I, I'm I'm sad to admit that this one was actually the first one uh, that I saw actually in the theatre in the cinema because um, the previous instalments I'd been, you know, obviously too young to go and see at the cinema and what had watched on home video and was a, you know, like I said, quite a fan of. So this one, I was quite excited to actually go to the cinema and watch it. And you're absolutely right. They totally played on this um, gimmick of, of the 3D. Um, you know, it was it was again in a period where we hadn't had 3D in in some time, and obviously we hadn't got to the age we live in yet, where pretty much everything's released in 3D. So it <laughs> yeah. it, 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 it was it was a real gimmick, and and they actually, in terms of the marketing, they actually did it quite well. But the trouble was the actual product itself wasn't that great in the fact that it was it was your typical you know i mean obviously you had the visual cue in the film with the with the with uh uh De um billy zane's sister i can't remember her name but uh literally putting on the the 3d glasses yes <laughs> so you, you had your prompt to put them on which again you know in in a cinema environment with the audience was kind of a kind of a cool thing but then it it, it really did fall into the rather than dealing with depth and stuff it was all about stuff flying at you you know like those three demons that created freddy you know coming out at you and literally them throwing knives and picking up a knife and going oh this could be good and waving it at the camera and <laughs> yeah. stuff like that so of course when you watch it in 2d which i did to for this podcast you know i watched the blu-ray of it yeah and um you, you, you know, it, it just looks ludicrous. It does. <laughs> so, it does. It loses um, everything. It, absolutely everything. If you don't, if you're not watching it in that environment, what's the point, basically? <laughs> well, exactly. And also, and also, the other thing, you know, this came out in '91, and um, in terms of the horror genre, this kind of 
suffered big as well because this came out at the same time that you had real quality horror films like Silence of the Lambs and Misery, which we talked about both of those on previous podcasts. But, you know, they, they came out the same year as this. So you really you really did sort of have both ends of the spectrum in terms of um, in, in terms of, uh, you know, horror quality. <laughs> oh, definitely. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we did a whole kind of section on this in our podcast about the slashers. And yeah, you know, this was a weird kind of dead zone for horror, weirdly, even though, you know, you had one of the only ever, yeah, best picture winner horror <laughs> movies in history. You also had all this crap coming out. You had Jason Goes to Hell and Freddy's Dead and, uh, leprechaun and all of these like ridiculous terrible i mean the early 90s really very broadly if you don't count things like silence of the lambs uh you know was a pretty dead time for horror i think and uh and 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 also it the freddy's dead is a kind of absolute epitome of what the slashers sort of devolved into i suppose you know you that, that suddenly this kind of studio led gimmicky stuff went further than the actual sort of artistic content i suppose and that by this point all of these franchises were in their sort of sixth seventh eighth entries and it was all about kind of the gimmick or what can we do now send them into space let's bring out action <laughs> let's bring out action figures let's have a tv series let's have a video game of freddy let's get you know kids dressing up as them these these like these kind of these characters that you know freddy krueger was this terrifying thing that wes craven had uh, you know created to be this kind of ultimate nightmarish figure that is that nightmarish figure in the first one and then his it's like you know all of Wes Craven's work has just been completely shit on by Freddy's dead. You know, it's just this absolute parody of himself. Like you say, he's this celebrity figure now who kind of makes wisecracks and then sort of, you know, runs off or whatever. And yeah, it's just, there's nothing left of the original franchise in this film. There's no suspense. There's no scares. There's no creation. There's creativity. It's all gone by this point to me. Oh yeah. I mean, Freddy in a, originally was a child murderer and by the time you get to this yeah. point he's the son of a thousand maniacs you know yeah it's yeah, it's it's, it, it's just like the the original one is believable horrible and the you know thousand maniacs you know it's it's just so out there that you know you just kind of you can just laugh at it it's just like oh okay it sounds cool, yeah. but yeah, exactly. And equally, you know, like I said, Black Christmas has one of my favorite ever kill scenes. This has one of my worst, which is where a Freddy Krueger kind of puts a kid inside a video game, like a Nintendo oh, NES dear. video oh, game, yeah. and yeah. he and he sits in an armchair and wears a power glove, kind of, <laughs> and yes. then just kind of like we kind of go into this stupid two D computer game where this kid is getting sort of stamped on and hit with frying pans and stuff. And it's yeah. like, what happened? You know, this was the film where the girl was dragged and cut open. On the ceiling in the first one and now mm. we're watching a nez game it's like what has happened you know yeah no yeah. i agree i mean kind, kind of ironically um i actually when i rewatched this i kind of fell asleep during that part so i think you should obviously <laughs> never do in a nightmare on elm street film i mean that says um, it all but, that says but, it all but yeah I, I i and i wound it back and i was like uh Oh, for heaven's sake, I'd forgotten this bit. I'd, I'd erased that bit from my memory because, um, yeah. you know, it is really bad. And I think this is this is one of the problems with, um, you know, we've, we've talked about this in other franchises as well. But certainly one of the things they've done with Freddy here, which I think um, is, is demystify the character, because by... 
by giving all this black backstory and explaining, you know, that these three demons, uh, you know, these these things that could obviously fly out the screen at the audience and go around everywhere. But these these yeah. three demons were the things that chose him and and created him in the first place. And it's all a little bit um, really. We didn't need to know that because I mean the the whole point of the supernatural aspect of Freddy, you know, existing in our dreams and stuff was 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 meant it meant artistically you could kind of do anything with it because it's a dream so rules don't apply so much exactly but but also it made it truly scary because we all have to sleep right Mm. you know (laughs) we all have to dream and uh suddenly they're, they're given like his whole his whole backstory and um you, you know, explaining how he was formed and how he was created and therefore how they can kill him. And, you know, taking that, well, it's a dream we can do anything to the extreme of, like you said, playing a sort of stupid video game <laughs> with, with with one of the characters and having him bouncing up and down stairs and stuff. And it just like suddenly yeah. it, you were laughing out loud at it as opposed to being somewhat creeped out by it. And uh, yeah, yeah made, exactly. Made a, big difference, made a big difference to the franchise for sure. Yeah, I, think, I think this film's probably not, it, it's not totally this film's fault because if memory serves and i haven't re-watched them lately but i think the the two films prior to this kind of started doing that as well i seem to remember one where freddie was surfing on a beach or something and had like ray Ray ban wayfarer glasses on yeah that was number four no that was that was dream masters that i i remember that from the trailer where you see that his hand flying through the uh the sand as if it's like a shark yeah, you know, the yeah, blades. Yeah, 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 and he does the whole. He's got the sunglasses, and he open. You know, he clicks open the his glove. You know, hi, it's Freddy. <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, yeah. they started doing it then. You know, long yeah. before this, and yeah. obviously there was the TV series, and like you said, the Todd McFarlane action figures, and you know, you yeah. know, all of that sort of. So it became about the merchandising rather than the you know the story itself, and I think that's where, I think that's where this film. Um, suffers for sure um yeah no you're i think you're right and you know yeah if freddie had been this for a few films now i think part three was the turning point i love part three actually the dream warriors one but that yes. you can see you can see there are moments there where it's like he'll go oh welcome the prime time bitch and all this yeah. kind of stuff and he'll yeah. he'll start saying these little one-liners and that is then what they begin to push and push and push but i, yeah. th- I think this was the real bottom of the barrel this one this one was worse than all the others um and uh, and you're right i think it's it you know I think the problem with all these franchises is they had to keep making more uh, and by making more it meant they had to somehow expand on the mythology or give these characters backstories and suddenly we were learning that Michael Myers was the creation you know of some cult and you know Freddy Krueger yeah was the son of a thousand maniacs and actually you know linking this back to my movie heaven you know the best part about the killer in Black Christmas is that you know nothing about him and and that's that is what all of these movies had lost by this point Mm. yeah no, absolutely. Well, um, it. it's what makes things scary is the unknown. You know, you don't, yeah, you don't if you don't know anything about this character, then you don't know what they're going to do or what they're capable of. So, as as you say, as he goes along with each film, it just demystifies him and makes him, you know, this fun character. I mean, he's a beloved character. People do love Freddy, and I think they love him because of of you know f- because of this you know, him being wisecracking and. You know, 
Yeah. You know, just... Kung Fu, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> In this oh, one. Oh, God. Oh, come on. But yeah. No, it, it, it was... It's weird. I mean, I mean, mm. I have to confess the the whole. I mean, I, I love you know the first Nightmare on Elm Street, but I have to remember yeah, that whole too. thing was slightly ruined for me when I first saw it because um, I, I I saw it on on uh, home video and uh, one of my friends Chris, who we've had on the podcast before, he 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 had it and invited me over to to to, to watch it. And it's really, but this must have been about. I don't know, 1986, 1987. And the, and the reason I say that is um, we didn't get V, uh, the, the, the series, the miniseries V until much later in the US. And we had it all sort of shown in one go. And the trouble is I found out because, of course, I was interested in films and actors and directors and stuff. So, of course, I found out this guy that was Freddy Krueger also played <laughs> Willie, the, the 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 funny lizard <laughs> alien that gets all his words wrong in the in, in the in the V franchise, and I was kind of like, oh yeah. shit! Suddenly, uh, when I think about that, you know, it shows what a great actor Robert England is because yeah, you, you know. But I was like, oh, suddenly I can't I can't take Freddy Krueger <laughs> is seriously now, and uh, well. By the time they got to this film, they didn't want us to take him seriously, no. so it was fine. No, exactly. <laughs> so. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting, and I think you know, I think that what the next film that you you know you mentioned, you said you liked, I love as well the Wes Craven's New Nightmare. Oh, I think that was Wes Craven then taking ownership back and sort of saying you know you've ruined like this is not what i wanted from my creation and he kind of makes freddy scary again and he reinvents yep. him in the next one well, he was kind uh, of ahead of his he was a kind of ahead of his time by doing this whole sort of meta thing that he did yeah as, yeah um, yeah it's basically I, scream I'm, isn't it yeah. yeah and i'm not and i'm not sure people were necessarily uh ready or open-minded enough for it at the time i mean it sounds like nothing now but at the time that was kind of a big deal and mm. uh you know, it, it, it was it was very uh, interesting. You know, it's a way of him being in the film and Robert Shea being in the film and stuff. <laughs> but I mean, you say about trying to take it back. I mean, I, I listened to an interview with him and it was literally that not just from a creative standpoint, but from a financial standpoint as well. Yeah, obviously, yeah. he had got nothing for the for the Nightmare on Elm Street sequels. And, um, you know, for this film was offered a lot of money to come back first of mm -hmm. all, but also, you know, they had kind of ruined his creation and they'd yeah. obviously killed his creation. And, um, in fact, uh, my, my memory completely got, um, Freddie and the, um, and Jason sort of confused because I was expecting to see in this film, the bit where the glove grabs, um, Jason's mask, <laughs> Jason. but I'm guessing that's no, from the Jason film. That's from the Jason film, yes. Yeah, ah, yeah. That's Jason goes to hell. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, I knew I knew it was either Freddy's dead or Jason went to hell was the one where they hinted at a crossover. And I couldn't remember which film it was. And when it got to the end of this, I was like, oh, it wasn't that one. It was the other one. <laughs> yeah. Both terrible films, both basically mm. titles more than they are films, you know, like one liners before they are films. <laughs> I, I, I actually went, watched uh, uh, Jason Goes to Hell as well as watching this. And um, yeah, this, it, it, again, it was this sort of weird gimmick. So the first thing they do is they kill off Jason. So you yeah. kill off your your main villain, and then you have it so that he, uh, 
that he swaps bodies and it becomes this weird like invasion of the body snatchers. Yeah. And then in the end he he comes back um you know for about 10 minutes just so he can be killed off properly. And then you sort of get the the image of the glove. But I mean this whole thing when you finally see this creature that's been moving from person to person it's this really weird it's just this silly puppet this demon puppet that's crawling around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's terrible. <laughs> it's just awful. I mean, you, you This was it this this was kind of like the nail in the coffin of the slasher franchise before it then sort of came back mm. uh with Scream, but this was this was it. This was where it was dying, I think, by the early 90s. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah. And I and I have to say for me, the when they did try and reboot um Nightmare on Elm Street with the remake of that I personally thought that was awful. I mean, I, Me I guess I guess most people did, hence why they yeah. didn't make any more of them. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, it, you know that that was just like uh, a terrible um, remake, in my opinion, of of what was the the original. Is still such a great film. And yeah, yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah, it's brilliant. I tell you, actually, something that really pissed me off with the Blu-rays is I've always had. You know, I had the first three films on VHS back in the day. And yes. then, um, uh, you, you know, in the early 2000s, um, New Line Warner did a really good Region 1 collection, uh, mm. kind of the spines made up uh, a picture of Freddy. And oh, cool. uh, they had loads of extras. They even came with the 3D glasses for this particular movie. Um, nice. And it had loads of stuff on. And uh, when it came out on Blu-ray, I, I, I repurchased the franchise yet again um, because it was supposed to have, and I'd never seen, it said, um, you know, contains like four episodes from Freddy's Nightmares, the series, right? But what really right. pisses me off is those four episodes are not the ones that are about Freddy Krueger. So I'm like, <laughs> what was the point of that? Apparently there was one, there was an episode, I've not seen it, where you see... Freddy Krueger on trial, you know, back in the, you know, late sixties or whatever it is where right. before the parents decide to sort of trap him in the school and burn him. Yeah. But you, you see, and there's a whole episode that deals with that, but it's not on the ultimate nightmare on Elm street, you know, Blu-ray collection. And I'm like, why That's hilarious. They, they, instead they mm. put these random episodes that are called Freddy's nightmares, but actually don't feature Freddy at all, apart from doing this kind of, you know, Crypt Keeper style intro, which is which is really bad. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's and, hilarious. And, and, and I thought, why the hell did they, you know, not not put those episodes on the Blu-ray? But there you go. Uh, somebody oh. needs to do that show about Blu-rays at some point. <laughs> yeah, yes, absolutely. yes, it is. Yes. It's a it's a, a minefield out there. It is. It's a home media <laughs> minefield. <laughs> it is. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, brilliant. So anything else then about Freddy's Dead that we want to bring up? I mean, I'm reading some trivia and apparently originally Peter Jackson had um, submitted a, uh, a script to do this, but uh, it was Oh, that rejected. would have been much better. Yeah, it was, <laughs> it was, of course, the other thing that's interesting about this is this is, was Rachel Talahay's first, um, this is her directorial debut. And... Um, I've noticed since she's gone on to sort of mainly television, I know she's done some episodes of the sort of DC Arrowverse, um, uh, you, you know, programs in, in recent years. But uh, but this was actually sort of 
her first stab at this, having worked um, behind the scenes on some of the previous Nightmare on Elm Street films. So um, yeah, yeah. But she actually, I think it was her idea as well. So she did. She didn't actually do the screenplay, but she came up with the original story idea for this and um, and got to direct. So it did start her career. And she has gone mm. on to do stuff since. So yes, yeah, 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 yeah. No, it's interesting. I mean, I think you know there was a lot of potential with, with that movie, but it was probably just a case of you know it being rushed out, you know, as part of this big never-ending franchise type stuff. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I suppose they were coming out what, every year, every couple of years. At this yeah, point. yeah, it's kind of like the Saw franchise was a bit about ten years ago, wasn't it? Yes, yeah. Although I, I have to say, I think. Generally speaking, the quality of the Saw franchise was quite consistent. Um, yes, obviously was, the yeah. first film was was the best, as they usually are, because you know nobody saw the twist coming and stuff. But yeah. I still thought that the actual, um, you know, uh, subsequent films were, were were very interesting and entertaining and well made. But uh, yeah, that's a whole yeah, other it, podcast. It is absolutely. <laughs> it is. Yeah. 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 <laughs> That's, uh, so any, anything else we want to add about um, the final nightmare? <laughs> well, I don't, think, I don't mm. think there's much more to say on that movie. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. So the, the, the next thing uh, that you're focusing on now is, is the ghost story. Is that right? That's right. Yeah, yeah. Which is really nice, actually. It's a lovely break from slashers. I've got to say, <laughs> um, talking about kind of yeah. It's interesting because you know slashers are generally thought of by a lot of people, not horror lovers, but by a lot of people, is kind of the 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 lower end of the spectrum, the trashier end of the spectrum. I suppose because of movies like Freddy's Dead giving it that reputation. Whereas I think you know ghost stories have this kind of much more esteemed sort of presence to them you know they cross over into you know even non-horror lovers can appreciate movies like the orphanage and the haunting and the innocence and the shining and all these types of movies so yeah that's what we're doing at the moment we're kind of covering all of those movies uh from sort of the 50s onwards basically mm. yeah I'm, I'm going along with you on those ones I, in fact uh you know we were saying about you know freddie's dead being in 3d and whatever i found the uh I found the one where you discuss William Castle and the yes. work that he was doing in the in the fifties, yes. uh, as a sort of precursor to what Hitchcock did with Psycho. In fact, um, exactly, yeah, and, and, yeah, how, yeah. and how he almost became a sort of celeb that was selling the the gimmick over the film. Although, although I, I love House on Haunted Hill, I think that's a fabulous film. But, it's a great uh, film, yeah. But 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 that's kind of interesting because some of his films were sort of dabbling in well 3d and and you know other sort of gimmicks um to to sell it and uh you know you know he was kind of the the, the face of that a, a little mm. bit like on television rod serling was doing with the whole twilight zone thing as well about you know actually being the the the, the face of the franchise and uh introducing it and 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 selling it to the audience as it were so definitely um, yeah, yeah yeah and actually it's not unlike freddy's dead and these movies you know it's that classic kind of gimmick came before the story a lot of the time and actually house on haunted <laughs> hill was brilliant that was a really good movie but we then reviewed another one alongside it 13 ghosts which which is pretty terrible and actually when you watch yes. it now without the 3d without all those gimmicks it's nothing i mean it's barely even a film <laughs> so yeah it's yeah. interesting are we yeah. talking about the originals or the remakes yeah the 
the original is from the 50s, 50s. yeah oh, okay yeah just because i've i've only seen the remakes and i i did enjoy the remake of house on haunted hill that was oh yeah that was me quite too good yeah yeah yeah, no, yeah. yeah well those guys i mean that was that was when um zemeckis and co sort of started up the, the zemeckis and silver started up the uh the whole dark castle thing and um yeah uh, you know they, they they were clearly fans of those films from the the late 50s 60s and uh and you can kind of see that because they are good remakes good representations as opposed to you know some of the stuff we talked about um earlier although I, I guess i'm kind of contradicting myself there because one of the things i was saying was the problem with black christmas was the maker was too close to the original but then he directed it he didn't just produce it so um yeah 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 so, exactly but that's cool all right well um anything else simon that you want to add no not that i can think of um you know i like you guys you know, I I enjoyed the first three films, and uh, you know, as as a kid, the sort of they did scare me. Uh, but uh, the sort of I've not really seen the latter ones. There's um, I've I've never watched all of the Nightmare on Elm Street films. I will admit that now, and it's, so it's. Wow. But I know enough about them to sort of you know, know what happens and you know sort of kills and stuff. I've seen the 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 very long documentary about. The, the making of all those films and uh i i mean i really enjoyed a, a new nightmare um second time viewing it i think first time i i watched it uh it went over my head a lot um i was i was a teenager when i saw it when it first came out and didn't quite get it but uh revisiting again recently i i really enjoyed it i really enjoyed the sort of the the meta side of things and you know seeing um you know, seeing all these actors and directors and playing themselves and trying to, you know, yeah. put this in the real world, you know, is 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 really well done. But uh, yeah, it was as you say when it came to sort of Freddy's dead and Jason goes to hell, they just they kind of lost lost the steam. They just, you know, they had done it so much, it's like they couldn't think of anything else more to do apart from you know kill off the characters say well that you know that's it now let's 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 bury these guys and you know but saying that they both came back i mean you had um you know a new nightmare and you had jason x which uh again was kind of a reinvention where they they made it more of a comedy it's yeah it's good fun actually there was a lot of fun yeah there's a lot of fun yeah i kind of i kind of like that i mean it's um uh, we had a previous podcast where we had a, an episode to sort of um, uh, celebrate the Stephen King season at the BFI and sort of commemorate the passing of Toby Hooper. Yes. And um, we were we were talking about, you know, vampire films like Salem's Lot. Um, yes. You know, fantastic. But uh, we also talked about a vampire film called Dracula 3000, which has a similar premise to Jason X, but is just god terrible <laughs> yeah awful. You add that to your list <laughs> oh yes yes absolutely yes when you when you get onto the vampire films oh i know i know yeah. god there's a lot of ground to cover there i mean <laughs> twilight for one thing <laughs> yeah. yes, yes. So, so simon yeah if, if um you said that scream then is your slasher movie heaven yeah what is your slasher movie hell 
Well, I'd, I'd definitely say uh, Jason Goes to Hell is my hell. And it was, okay. it was, it was a hard watch. It was like, it's, it was, uh, you know, you just kept, kept rolling your eyes at everything that was going on. And yeah, you know, it's, yeah, that's the one I fell asleep at, at the Friday the 13th or nighter that they okay. did at the Prince Charles. Oh, I think I, I did finally nap when it came to that one. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, Jason Takes Manhattan is great, but then the next one, Jason Goes to Hell, is, yeah. Well, it is, but, I mean, the problem is that the whole him taking Manhattan is only, like, for the last 15 minutes. Yeah, it's uh, Jason Goes on a boat. boat. Really. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Jason yeah. Which, does a cruise. Exactly, yeah, which exactly. Is, which is not as fun as... Uh, you know, once he gets into Manhattan, I mean, it's, it's such a yeah. it's such a shame. It's, it's such a waste of a film because the, the whole Manhattan bit's great, but it's like, oh, we've only got like two days to shoot here or something. Yeah, again, again, the title and the poster promise a lot more than the film actually delivers. Oh God, the trailer promised so much. Yeah, <laughs> especially when they did New York, New York. <laughs> yeah. I mean it's a brilliant trailer to it but unfortunately the, the film just not delivers no no it doesn't and actually while we're on that subject then what do you guys both think of because it is relevant um, Freddy versus Jason yeah it's I don't mind it it has its moments I mean it's ridiculous but it's kind of fairly oh well put together I suppose you know if you're going to kind of cram these two franchises somehow in the same world as each other and the, the fact that suddenly you know Elm Street turned out to be about a 10 minute drive from Camp Crystal Lake or whatever if you kind of put all if you put all hey, that everywhere crap, as an Elm Street as they say yeah, right? yeah exactly exactly if you put all of that stuff aside I mean it's quite I thought it was quite good fun in a silly way yeah, I, I mean, I I enjoyed it when it first came out, but sort of rewatching it late, um, recently, it's oh, I just I just found it was awful. I just couldn't I couldn't really sit for it. it yeah, I haven't watched it since it first came out. Actually, yeah. I've got to admit. Yeah, I I, have, I haven't watched it in a long, long time either. But I I did kind of um, enjoy it for what it was at the time. I mean, it's it's interesting because it's that film that started the the versus films for the big screen. You know, I mean, I know they've been doing yeah. it in comic books and stuff for for, for ages, but um, you, you, you know, this was the well, the the first one that had done it in many years. Let's put it that yeah. way. I think it they was did the, it back in the monster movies at one point or something. They did, but, they uh, did. But yeah, this um, was like the original Captain America Civil War. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, got a lot to answer for. There you go. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Well, yeah, it was something that was in the air at the time because, um, you know, a lot of comic books had done this kind of versus, uh, especially Dark Horse comics. I mean, they did the original Aliens versus Predator and you had like the Terminator versus Robocop. And so, you know, a lot of uh, studios were looking to sort of have like franchises go up against each other. But of course, usually the franchises in question were owned by different companies. So to, to get them to agree to do it is, is quite, it was very tough. But, yeah. You know, but in the case of like aliens versus predator, they were both owned by Fox. So that was quite easy, but uh, you know, the actual final product, it wasn't worth it to the truth. There you no, go. it's true. Yeah. We, we always, we always have to have a, yes. a uh, podcast where <laughs> the alien franchise gets mentioned somewhere. I mean, we already mentioned star Wars earlier. So yeah. star Wars and alien, are, 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 
one of a number of touchstones that we've got. So uh, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it always <laughs> yeah. makes me chuckle inside when they get mentioned. <laughs> it's like, yay. So uh, and we've talked about Halloween as well, which is definitely one of my favorite uh, favorite films of all time. My definitely my favorite slasher film of all time, for sure. So, yeah. Well, nice. Yeah, it's yes. a good choice. Yeah. Yes. And uh, of course, we've got a new one of those coming this year which is going to be interesting yeah, very, to see where uh, they go with it. I'm very excited. I yeah, I probably I probably have too high expectations at the moment, but I am very excited for it. Yeah, the the, the bit that I'm not that I not too sure about cuz this is the trouble. I don't want to read too much cuz I don't like spoilers or knowing anything before I see it. But what I'm not sure is whether or not this is ignoring Halloween 2 or whether it's carrying on 40 years after that because to me i always you know again i know it's a different director and a slightly different tone of film and whatever but uh, because of the way i watched it as a kid i saw them back to back so to me halloween one and two is one film you know to me that's one whole story yeah i don't know whether i don't know whether the idea of this is it's 40 years on from when he's gone over the balcony and and landed on the lawn and then disappeared or whether it's 40 years on since the, uh, you know, the explosion in the hospital in, in part two. So, um, and I, I'm, I'm frightened to Google it too much in case I get too many spoilers and stuff. I just want to, uh, I just want to know sort of, I know it's ignoring the rest of the franchise, which is fine, but I just yes. wanted to know whether it's <laughs> including the second film or not. So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know if anyone knows that for sure. Yeah. It will be yeah. intriguing to see. I, yeah, it will be, we'll have to, we'll have to see. Cause I think it, like you say, it's a difficult thing, I think to ignore Halloween too, because then it's, you know, it's going to reinvent everything from that point on the balcony onwards from where he disappears from the front garden onwards, which is, yeah, would be interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, they sort of did it with, um, you know, H2O. In fact, it's, it's scary that we're already at H4O now. And I remember I know, going to see I know. H2O like it was only a few weeks back. You know, oh, it still yeah. feels like the recent one, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah it does. It's like because we obviously ignore all the Rob Zombie stuff. Because of course, he, of course, he totally missed yeah. the point with those films. But yeah. yes, <laughs> of course. Yeah, we it's don't a massive them. subject. It is a massive subject. It, it is. is. <laughs> um, but, uh, so, OK, um, in that case, uh, Mike, please let us know uh, for any listeners we've got that are still with us. Um, <laughs> how, how can they, you know, I really recommend um, listening to your podcast because it's it's on my, I listen to it every week. It's, oh, it's, thank I've you very subscribed much. subscribed and, and I think, well, I like the way you've got great guests and you're spending a lot of time, you know, all your episodes are feature length as well. You're spending a lot of time on the various stages of, 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 of the evolution of this and the history of this. And I find that as a, as a filmmaker and a fan of horror films, really interesting and informative. And also I'm kind of rediscovering and discovering more films as it goes along. Cause I'm kind of watching them with you. Uh, as if I haven't got enough homework to do for this podcast. <laughs> so, I know, I, I know. Kind of, yeah, I've just got no life. I just watch movies, you know. Um, so <laughs> I, I'm, I'm going with that. But where, where can people find this? What, 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 what? Where oh. do they have to go? 
Thank you very much. Well, yeah, it's uh, you can find it on all the usual podcast places, iTunes, obviously, and um, you know whatever other Stitcher, whatever other podcast you know app you use. So it's called the Evolution of Horror, and you can find uh, Twitter. We're on Twitter at Evolution Pod, and it's there's also a Facebook page. There's a little nice discussion group on Facebook as well that's got I think two hundred odd members at the moment, and they all talk about all the films every week. So it's really nice. It's like getting a little sort of community now as well, which is good um so yeah you can find us on all those different sort of platforms wow you're, you're doing all the stuff we should be doing <laughs> oh it's uh, it really does it sucks your life i should be doing because really simon does most of it yeah <laughs> <laughs> only because i haven't got a life that's all <laughs> yeah you and me both there we go <laughs> well thank you so much yeah. for having me oh it's that's all right it's a pleasure and uh keith where can people find your work Okay, if you go onto YouTube and put in British Isles, that's E-Y-L-E-S, as in my last name, uh, you can see short films that I've written, produced and directed on there, and you can get in touch with us via the podcast. And as always, you can find my work at independentrunnings.com. Uh, you can listen to this podcast on Stitcher, iTunes, uh, YouTube, and all good podcast providers. Uh, you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Just search Movie Heaven, Movie Hell. And please leave us, leave us a rating and review on iTunes and Stitcher. It all helps. So Doesn't it? it does. So uh, just again, want to thank our guest, Mike, for coming on. Thank you very much. And uh, hopefully you will join us for the next episode of Movie Heaven, Movie Hell.